Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Hey everyone, this week Brittany and I are going to open the long lost endo file. <laughs> I feel like it's been a while since we had an endo file. The first one was traumatizing. We had to take a break. It was so scary. <laughs> we needed a minute. Last week really was an endo file where we talked about why endometriosis is not the endometrium part one. But today is really, really the endophiles because we are going to get very sciencey in our explanation of why endometriosis is not the endometrium, part two, the science and acronyms part. Oh my God, so many acronyms. <laughs> I'm nervous. <laughs> Me too. You should be. We're the ones who have to say them correctly. <laughs> no pressure. But don't worry, Brittany, there's no pop quiz at the end. Don't lie to me. Or is there? Don't lie to me. Can you imagine I just like prepared a pop quiz? I'm like, question one. Everybody ready? It'd be fun though. Interactive. Maybe that's a sneak peek for one day. Well, maybe in the very last episode of this podcast, the entire episode will be like a 60 minute pop quiz of everything that we've learned over this like 100 episode series. That actually sounds really amazing. It does. I think I just got I think we should do that. For an episode. Yeah, I think we'll do that. Well, what do I get if I get an A on the quiz, though? What if I get 100? All right. Anyone who gets an A on the pop quiz of the last episode can get a shiny piece, a shiny bloody piece of my endometrium. But I already have one. I want a different <laughs> prize. Uh, can I have a piece of the missing ovary? Can you go hunt that down in the biohazard and take off a sliver for me? <laughs> this went serial killery. So, I mean, a little weird, but we're here for it. So like we said, there's going to be a lot of science and biology today. Don't worry. We are also going to do a plain English wrap-up after every section and at the end of the episode. But I think it is really nice to delve into the, you know, the biology and the science of why endometriosis is not the endometrium. Because I think it's just really, like, we know that endometriosis and endometrium are not the same, but it's kind of like... Well, why? Why and how? Yeah, why aren't they the same? And like, how far does it go that they're not the same? Pretty far. <laughs> Just remember that all of our resources are in the resources tab of our website, which is in 16years.com. So definitely uh, we've linked all of the sources we used to make this episode today. So you can go check that out if you want to have further reading or you want to go see all those science words for yourself. And if we don't pronounce some of the science words correctly, like, we apologize in advance, but it's hard and we're not doctors <laughs> or scientists. <laughs> but also some of them are really complicated and I don't think any of us are going to end up using them like in our daily life or probably ever again. So 
Does it really matter? Potato, potato. Yeah, you know. We all know what we're talking about when you read it. As long as we get the gist of what's going on, then... So while we don't need to be corrected on our terrible pronunciation... I mean... <laughs> you can if you, you want. Can if but... you want. I am the queen of pronouncing things wrong. Amy like, does pronounce things differently, and I find that very endearing about her. <laughs> I hate you. But... <laughs> Amy, say O-R-I-G-I-N. Anyways, so keep going with what you... I have issues, people. I have issues. All the languages are confused in my head. That's fair. Multilingual. It makes it harder. <laughs> no, but so our pronunciation is probably not going to be great. And you can correct us if you'd like. We always appreciate that. But if you do notice any informational inaccuracies or anything that you think maybe wasn't clear or could be not correct, please definitely reach out to us because... Amy and I take it very seriously that we share correct information and would never want to perpetuate any misinformation. So we're always open if you find anything that might need clarification or could be wrong. Brittany, I feel like this episode topic is so important that endometriosis is not the endometrium that I would love if this episode went viral. It would be really cool if it went so viral it became famous. And then when you call up the gynecologist's office, instead of hearing that terrible elevator music, you hear, you're currently on hold. Your position in line is number three. By the way, don't forget that endometriosis is not the endometrium. Da 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 da. <laughs> you are now number two in the queue. <laughs> Can I get that famous, please? <laughs> oh my God, that'd be amazing. And then also, it would be playing not only in the hold line, but on the waiting room of the doctor's office. Please. Please help us make this episode go viral by calling your gynecologist and just begging them to share it. <laughs> Please with their, listen to this. Just beg them to share it with their clientele. <laughs> okay, just kidding. Don't do that. Or or just kidding. Do do that if you really want to. <laughs> it's just such important information. We think everybody needs to have it. That's why as many people can hear it, the better. But if calling your doctor's office and begging them to put our episode as their hold music is just like a bit <laughs> out of line wild for yeah. you, which <laughs> out of I, bounds, I get. <laughs> go ahead and help us go viral if you'd like by sharing this episode to your social media platform, to your Instagram, to your Facebook. I think it's really helpful when we share resources that we find that have helped us. So we would love if, you know, a lot of you are, are sharing our podcast already. Thank you for everyone who's doing that. We really appreciate everyone's effort in this matter to try to get this really important information out there that endometriosis is not the endometrium. So are you ready to be thoroughly horrified? Am I? My favorite way to be is thoroughly horrified. <laughs> then here we go. Let's jump into the episode. Endometriosis is not the endometrium. Part two, because there's so much to say on the topic, because endometriosis is not the endometrium. It's not. Q endophile soundtrack. Do, 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 do. Ah! <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Let's get lightly into the science at this point. So we want to start with a brief overview of some of the differences between the endometrium and endometriosis. So there are a couple of charts online that compare the differences between the two, and we've linked two different charts in the show notes. So we want to read aloud from one chart. And of course, as we're reading, you're probably going to be like, what are these things? And I think don't worry about like what the different factors are. We're going to go into detail in some of the bigger ones throughout this episode. 
But we really just wanted to do a quick overview to show that there are a lot of differences that have been found in studies when comparing endo and the endometrium. So in the research article that's titled, quote, Progesterone and Estrogen Signaling in the Endometrium. What goes wrong in endometriosis? End quote. What goes wrong? Really? Do they want to ask any of us? I'm sure we have a laundry list for them. <laughs> what goes wrong? Patronizing question. <laughs> everything. The answer is everything. I think they mean like what goes scientifically wrong with the... Also everything. <laughs> with the signaling, like the receptors and stuff, but... Sneak preview. Also everything. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. <laughs> This research article is by Ryan Markhart, Taihoon Kim, Jun Ho Shin, and Jae Wong Jiang. And this is in the International Journal of Molecular Sciences, published in 2019. So here's a quick overview of some of the differences that different studies have found between endo and the endometrium. And this is when we come in and say, like, please don't judge my pronunciation <laughs> on any of these factors, okay? Because I'm doing my best. <laughs> They're really difficult. We get a pass, okay? <laughs> also, like, who named these? I don't know. The ultimate question. Scientists were just having fun one day, and they just took a whole bunch of letters and threw them at the wall, and whichever one stuck, that's how they named some of these things. I'm convinced. So these are some of the progesterone and estrogen signaling factors that are dysregulated in endometriosis lesions. So first, I'll name all of the ones that are decreased in endometriosis compared to the endometrium. All right, we have chicken ovobumin upstream promoter transcription factor 2. I'm sorry, what? The Roman numeral 2, not the number 2. Okay, that's not the part that I'm stuck <laughs> on. <laughs> chicken ovobumin upstream promoter so transcription. So there's, there's just chicken in me. <laughs> there's just, I'm, I'm inherently chicken. Is that... I don't eat animal meat. I don't know how there's chicken in me. It's not chicken, Who put Brittany? chicken in me? It's chicken ovobumin. Who put chicken ovobumin in me? Is there a lamb ovobumin in me? <laughs> like, I have, I have egg albumin, but chicken ovobumin. What? I don't want it in me. So, Brit, I admit that we don't know what these things are. Our point is, one, to have fun with these names. But, two, to just point out, like we said, these are different factors that are that are found to be decreased in endometriosis compared to the endometrium. We don't really know what they are, but we know that they're not we the same. We know that same. they're not the same. <laughs> yes. So the next one is the WNT family member four. Okay. Got family inside me. All right. <laughs> I assume there's a family member one, two, and three. At, <laughs> yeah. Where, what happened least. to them? <laughs> okay. Then we have the heart and neural crest derivatives expressed two. Oh, that sounds nice. Not the Roman number two, the regular number. Oh, excuse the, me. The Arabic number two. Excuse me. Then we also have the insulin-like growth factor binding protein one. Okay, that sounds normal. Okay. We have the fork head box. Okay, nope, you lost me. <laughs> Wait, the fork head box oh, 01. You lost me completely. Where's the spoon head? Where's the knife head? Is forkhead just like a new thing to call people when you're mad at them? Like, hey, forkhead box number two. Like, is that? <laughs> I'm going to call you that when I'm irritated. I'll be like, yo. Stop being a forkhead. <laughs> yo, forkhead box number 201. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. <laughs> Who named these? I want to know. I don't know. I really, I don't know. Does it look like a fork? So is it like. And a box? How can it look like a fork and a box? What abstract? I thought they were scientists, not artists. Are we having some abstract sculpting going on? I'm very confused. The abbreviation for that one is Fox 01. Oh, which ooh, I think is really that's nice. nice. Yeah. <laughs> then we have the FK506 binding protein prolo isermase 4. Okay, sure. 
And then we have the gata or the G-A-T-A or the gata in Spanish. <laughs> Probably not gata, which means cat. So <laughs> I was say, that's why I clung to that one. So then we have the G-A-T-A binding protein 2. And then we have the estrogen receptor 1. Finally, something I understand. Estrogen. I know that word. Fork box. I get something. <laughs> okay. And then according to this table, which I'm sure is not a complete list of all the differences between endo and the endometrium, the following things that I'm going to name are progesterone and estrogen signaling factors that are increased in endometriosis compared to the endometrium. So the list we just read is when comparing the two, endometriosis has a decrease in the proteins. And this list you're about to read when comparing the two, endometriosis has an increase compared to the endometrium, right? Yes. Whew, okay. Although I don't know if they're all proteins. They're signaling factors, Brittany. Get okay, it right. whatever the heck fork box <laughs> they are, okay? <laughs> Look, those fork box factors here. That's our new I'm trying word. so fork boxing hard, okay? <laughs> it is so fork boxing hard. <laughs> okay, so then we have, we'll start with the one Brittany loves. Estrogen receptor 2. Did I say I loved it? I just said I knew it. Is increased. <laughs> then the MYC proto-oncogene protein. Then we have the cyclin D1. Growth regulating estrogen receptor binding 1. Fibroblast growth factor 9. And steroid receptor coactivator 1. These sound way more normal. Yeah. <laughs> There's no chicken and fork box. There's no chicken <laughs> ovibulum and fork box. <laughs> Much more normal. Okay. So to sum all of that up, to make it a little more fork boxingly easy to understand, is that it's important to know this because the progesterone and estrogen signaling factors in the endometrium and the endometriosis have different levels. One set is increased in endometriosis, and another set is decreased in the endometriosis, but not in the endometrium. So it's important to know that these things are different down to the fundamental signals within the tissue. And why this means so much is because the tissues behave differently because of the signals within them. We'll go into more what that difference is and what that means in this episode. Not all of them. No, there's too many. Because <laughs> we'd be here all day, but some of the really important ones. Does Forkbox make the cut of the important ones? No, Brittany. No. But we can continue to use Forkboxing throughout the episode. That's not Forkboxing fair. <laughs> <laughs> Never going to let Forkbox go. <laughs> so awesome. There has been plenty of research done on the differences between the endometriosis and the endometrium, thankfully. <gasps> Well, how come the doctors never know about it? Ooh, well, we already talked you about know. that in the last <laughs> That's episode. That's a previous episode. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, I feel skeptical. Ongoing education. <laughs> Not spent in this area. <laughs> so there are actually genome-wide differences in the DNA methylation between the stromal cells and the endometriosis. That sounds intense. And the normal endometrium. Wow. So genome-wide DNA differences. Wow, my brain hurts. So DNA methylation differentially regulates the expression of hundreds of genes in the endometriotic and endometrial stromal cells. Genes. We know what those are. Let's hold on to what we understand. <laughs> Pants that are blue that I wear that uh, no, are that's, not comfortable, that's especially when you have endo belly. Who in this community wears jeans? <laughs> I certainly don't. <laughs> I try to wear the stretchy jeans. You know, The button is too much. Well, I, I try to any... wear the, the spandexy, like the, uh -huh. what are they called? The jeggings. Yeah, the jeggings, <laughs> you know. But even those, I was like, God, too my endo belly cannot breathe. Too restrictive. <laughs> I'm all about the maternity pants, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> 
nice stretchy thick waistband. Really, I'm all about the dresses. Really, I'm all about sweatpants. Your heart, your heart. <laughs> yeah, really, I'm all about my bathrobe. Yeah, yeah. But when I have to leave the house yeah, and I'm not allowed, a dress is a good option. Why can't I go out in my bathrobe? A dress with an empire waist, so people, it's not even near your people waist. People go out in Oof. shorts with their butt hanging out, and no it's one true. cares. How come I cannot go out of the house in my bathrobe? That's I don't, true. I don't understand why that's. Not Everybody acceptable. can wear whatever the heck they want. Let's start that now. <laughs> I'll be out there in my bathrobe and slippers. I like it. Why not? Do you think I'll get arrested for that? No. It's not indecent. Hmm. Well, now I know how I'm going to the grocery store later. <laughs> so that was a lot, and I'm about to share more. <laughs> and it's okay if we don't understand it. I'm confused. I don't understand anything. It's okay because... I just found out we're not even talking about blue jeans. We're talking about <laughs> jean genetics. Jeans. <laughs> G-E-N-E-S in my body. Yes. But what we kind of want to communicate is that knowing the actual ins and outs of the science isn't important. We just want to share it for your knowledge. But we will tell you what is important, which is what it means. So we'll sum that up at the end. So if what you get a little lost in the middle, it's okay. Just hang that... on. <laughs> we'll try not to get lost. We're the ones <laughs> giving out the information. But Yeah, this is a little bit of a maze and we're going to all make it to the, the goal together. Okay. <laughs> what it means is that endometriosis is not the endometrium. Yes. <laughs> but we're going to go into more reasons why with these little snippets, okay? Your doctor comes out, your misinformed gynecologist comes out, they're like, oh, well, endometriosis, the endometrium. And you're like, <laughs> wait a minute. Are you aware that there are genome-wide differences in the DNA methylation? You're like, I don't even know what I just said, <laughs> but I know I said something but I know I smart and important. <laughs> Write down talking points on your hand. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to go a little bit deeper into the science, and then we're going to explain what it means in complete non-science terms. So to put some numbers to what that DNA methylation and genome-wide differences mean, the differences were correlated with gene expression using an interaction analysis strategy. Which basically means they use the scientific (laughs) method to see the differences. Yes. So out of about 470,000 methylation sites... Researchers found more than 42,000 differentially methylated CPGs in the endometriosis stromal cells compared to the normal endometrium. Hold on. 42,000 differentially methylated CPGs, which we don't know what those are. We're going to be honest. But (laughs) not important. Something to do with your genes, but not your blue genes either. (laughs) But the 42,000, 42,000 that were differentially methylated? Yes. That's a lot. That's a significant portion of the methylation being done differently in endometriosis compared to the endometrium. So it's not just like one. They were like, we found this one dinky little difference. Not just one. 42 fork boxing thousand. (laughs) (laughs) That's a hefty sum. (laughs) Oh, my. What I think actually is even more interesting personally is that 403 genes, 403 showed significant differences in methylation when compared to the endometrium. 403? That's a lot. I understand that. 403 genes. <laughs> I know what that I is. I finally <laughs> know what we're talking about. Don't worry. We know what we're talking about. We, we researched well. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it is confusing. But yeah, that's so many genes. 403. What do these genes do, Brittany? Well, a large number of these genes encode transcription factors. What are transcription factors? It's a fun way of saying that they're basically proteins that help specific genes to turn on and activate or turn off and deactivate. (gasps) So they bind to the nearby DNA, and it helps regulate the expression of the genes. So basically, 
because endo has differences in methylation, it's able to turn different genes on and off. Than, yeah, than that's the terrifying. Cam. Yeah, terrifying. So that's our plain English summary. Because endometriosis has differences in DNA methylation, it is able to turn on and off different genes when compared to the endometrium. Oh, I feel so smart. <laughs> I, I feel so proud of myself. And that I... to add to that, add to your smartness. Don't fork boxing take away from my I'm adding glory. to your smartness. <laughs> she just needs to feel smart. It's okay. There's more than 42,000 differentially methylated CPGs in the endometriosis stroma cells compared to the normal endometrium, and Ooh. also 403 genes with significant differences in methylation. Ooh, that so, is a forkboxing lot. That's a ton of differences. And then compared to the fact that with those genes comes a difference between what can be turned on and off through the transcription factors. So that's a lot of difference, in my opinion. In my humble opinion. You have a very good opinion, <laughs> Brittany. You. If only the doctors would have the same opinion or the medical community at large. Or if ACOG. only ACOG would listen. <laughs> okay, Brittany. So I get it. Do you? Sort of. <laughs> so endometriosis is acting different than the endometrium. So that differential methylation that's affecting the genes, like, do we know some of the genes that it's affecting? In endometriosis? So we're going to talk about a few of the genes, not all of them, just a few of them. And first we're going to talk about the HOX gene clusters. HOX sounds fun, or hawks, that's just what I want to say. (laughs) So what are the HOX gene clusters? Although it's vaguely coming back to me from the episode that we did about the theories of the causes of endometriosis. Yes, this, is, this isn't the first time and HOX has Dr. made a cameo. Dr. David Redwine talking about his theory of malariosis that we're born with endo. Mm-hmm. I shall recall that we talked about the HOX. Wow, your recollection. <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> so Something bring, like HOX sticks with you, you know. Bring up speed. So in the HOX gene clusters, there's four, A, B, C, and D. Easy to remember. Thank goodness. Thank you, Simon. Whoever (laughs) named those. Doing that. (laughs) They were like apple, banana, carrot, chicken, (laughs) avabula. Okay. Thank you, science. Is there a vegetable or a fruit that starts with a D? Apple, banana, carrot. Durian. Ooh. (laughs) Go get them, Brittany. Okay. So A, B, C, and D. Not Amy's version. But those four gene clusters control our development as embryos in patterns. Mm, This makes sense that it's connected to malariosis. The human female reproductive tract is primarily formed by Hawks 9, 10, 11, and 13. And as Amy just mentioned about Dr. David Redwine's theory of malariosis, that we're born with endo, and that endometriosis is caused by a problem with the HOX genes, and it results as a problem when the cells of the female reproductive tract are being formed as an embryo. I think what's also additionally interesting is that the HOX genes stay in the areas of the body where they were laid down originally, and that's important for conserving the regeneration of the body in that area. Dr. Redwine says that this is also important for the origin of scar endometriosis because the HOX genes are still in the area of the abdominal wall. Ooh, how fascinating. I know you'd think so. All right, so let me try and give a plain English summary of everything that we just talked about. To start, endometriosis has significant differences in methylation when compared to the endometrium. 
one of these differences affects the HOX genes. HOX genes control our embryonic development and patterns. HOX 9, 10, 11, and 13 primarily form the female reproductive tract. Ooh, Brittany, so what does number 12 form? Number 12 forms the sigmoid colon. And also, just as an FYI, 13 forms both the vagina and the rectum. Ooh! (laughs) Two favorite body parts of mine, the (laughs) vagina and the rectum. Yes. And also all places where many of us listening have endometriosis. But of course. Coincidental? (laughs) I think not. (laughs) (laughs) I think not. (laughs) All right. So to continue my summary, Dr. David Redwine, well-known excision surgeon and researcher, believes the origin of endometriosis is that we are born with it and that endometriosis is caused by a problem with the HOX genes. This problem with the HOX genes results in abnormal differentiation and migration of cells. So this is when they go to the wrong spot and they don't specialize as they should. So this abnormal differentiation and migration of cells happens during the formation of the female reproductive tract when we are embryos. You know what I find really interesting is that Dr. Redwine has also reported that with pelvic mapping of endometriosis, they can see that endometriosis is located in predictable patterns. Whoa. Which would support his theory that we're born with it because the embryo develops in patterns. <gasps> I get it now. So fascinating. I get it. Whew. I'm tired. We need a nap already. <laughs> Episode over. That was so <laughs> Anyone much. listening, if you need a nap from all this science, just pause us. My brain's tired. We'll be right here when you come back. So, Brittany, what else does differential methylation affect between endo and the endometrium? No surprise. More things are affected. And one of those is the nuclear receptor genes. What's that? I feel like that's going to be just the tenant of this episode. What's that? (laughs) We should just name the whole episode. What's that? (laughs) Endo is not the endometrium. What's that? (laughs) So nuclear receptor genes are receptors that are involved with the steroid hormones. What's that? We know what steroid (laughs) hormones are. Those are estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, among others. Oh, so you're saying. We know those. Okay. What we're saying is that endometriosis has differential methylation when it comes to do with the receptors that have to do with our hormones. Yeah, pretty big deal. Pretty big deal. Yeah, pretty obvious. Okay. Once again, it's not like endo has a differential methylation when it comes to your ear hair. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Everyone who has endometriosis has an excess of ear hair. Oh, my God. (laughs) Just add insult to injury. (laughs) That would be so terrible. (laughs) Just everybody has tufts. Oh. Now you have endo if you walk around with tufts of hair in your ears. (laughs) How sad. That would be so great. It would make diagnosis a lot easier. I was going to say, God, you wouldn't even need to have a laparoscopy to diagnose Like, oh, look at that ear tuft. You'd be like, okay, I have painful period, painful bowel movement, pain with sex. The doctor's like, okay, push your, if you have long hair, push your long hair back. Oh, I see that two-inch hairy <laughs> ear tuft. You must have endometriosis. Okay, take it back. We wish for that. You braided it. You know? Put a bead on it. <laughs> Gross. All right, Brittany, grace me with one last, although I know there are more, but give me <laughs> one last example of how differential methylation 
between endone and the endometrium affects something. Anything. Anything? You want more? It wasn't <laughs> enough what I already gave you. <laughs> okay. So it also affects the GATA family of transcription factors. Huh? <laughs> oh, oh, wait, I mean, <laughs> what's, what's that? that? <laughs> so the GATA transcription factors regulate our gene expression. What's that? What's regulate our gene expression? So if you remember, that's what turns the gene light on or off. Oh, okay. <laughs> so what genes are they turning on and off? Yes. They are turning on or off the genes that have to do with hormones. Oh, oh I was going to guess hormones. Okay, well, you would have been right. And what else? Um, their receptors. Oh, 100. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. They seem to always go hand in hand, their hormones and their receptors. Yeah, the giving <laughs> and the receiving, always together. <laughs> So really, let's get a plain English version of everything that we just talked about. Endometriosis is not the endometrium. For various reasons, like gene expression and DNA methylation, so that basically boils down to the fact that what endometriosis does in the body is fork-boxingly different than what (laughs) the endometrium does. Correct. Thank you. You've chicken over that so well. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk now about, I, we give Brittany the hard part. That was a really hard part. Now, I get the easier part about the hormone receptors. Okay, I'm going to go take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> I've earned it. <laughs> you did, Brittany. So as we go into the section about the hormone receptors, keep in mind, as we mentioned in the last episode, that endometriosis doesn't act uniformly. No surprise there. (laughs) I think we all knew that. It's unpredictable. (laughs) No shocker. When endometriosis and you go to the grocery store, you just stay away from like all the shiny, like don't go near the knife section. Don't go near the section with the frying pans. Like We should write a book that's just called Endometriosis and Me. And it's a picture book about all the things you do with your endometriosis. (laughs) Endometriosis is very volatile and very unpredictable. So Don't take it to the playground. It might (laughs) dig a hole into the ground six feet deep for fun while you're going down the slide. It's like that chaos sower. That's endometriosis. That kid on the playground that just sows chaos. (laughs) When you go in the playground, they have that big pit with all the balls that you're supposed to like roll around Uh in and feel good. And endometriosis just comes and starts like lopping them. Them at you like baseballs <laughs> right at your face like it's like everyone's in the snow playing and endometriosis is the one hiding behind a tree with rocks and snowballs hucking them at people oh, that's terrible <laughs> that's endometriosis oh my God, how violent <laughs> that's endometriosis <laughs> okay just keep in mind that endometriosis is really really scary <laughs> and unpredictable and so different endometriosis lesions can have varying receptors even within the same person's body And so some lesions may have more estrogen receptors or less. Some lesions may have progesterone receptors or not. They may have estrogen or progesterone or both. As we said last week, the level and the activity of these receptors can vary. And they can also have secret rocks inside them that endometriosis (laughs) is waiting to throw at your head and take your eyeball out. Thanks, Endo. (laughs) And if your eyeball comes out, you can replace it with a fork head box. (laughs) Let's go buy one at the store. (laughs) Do they make round boxes? Make a spoon head box. That'd be better. I can fit it in. For the eye socket, yeah. (laughs) And there's also different speculation that the types of endometriosis, which are Brittany. Uh, Superficial endometrioma and deep infiltrating endometriosis. (laughs) Did I pass? 
Yes. Okay. No rocks will be lobbed. I have test anxiety. You can't do this to me. <laughs> no rocks will be lobbed at your eyeball. Okay, thank you. For now. There is speculation that the different types of endometriosis lesions play a role as well, and that these different types of endo may even have varying expressions of hormone receptors. Ooh. You know, so we just want to make clear that everything we're going to talk about, like these are from different studies, and we're going to try to name the exact tissue that was compared to the endometrium, like whether it was peritoneal or ovarian endometriosis when that information was available. Keep in mind that most studies are done on ovarian endometriomas or on peritoneal endometriosis because of the idea that, you know, endometriosis is mostly in the abdomen and <laughs> extra pelvic Q grumbling. Extra pelvic endo is not rare, but Ugh. the majority of researchers do believe it's rare. So we're talking about the medical community as a whole who doesn't know that endometriosis is not the endometrium. So that's where we're working. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't seem to realize that endometriosis is not a disease of only the reproductive tract. So this is what we're working with. And so it's good to keep in mind that a lot of these studies have been done on these two types of endoperitoneal and ovarian endometriosis. So Brittany and I can't know or say that, yes, this applies to endometriosis in the lung or rectal nodule. So we'll leave that to the scientists and the researchers to figure out, but we're just... We're going to report on what we have. <laughs> yes, we're just <laughs> saying today that endometriosis does not act uniformly in the body. Let's start with the estrogen receptors. Oh, goody. <laughs> of course we have to start with estrogen. <laughs> Always have to start with estrogen. The most important. <laughs> the scariest. Estrogen needs to take a break. It does not need to be more important than it already thinks it is. Estrogen is a narcissist. That's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> so... There are estrogen receptors subtypes alpha and beta. That's hilarious. Also known as one and two. Amy likes to think she's alpha. And I, I like to let Amy think she's alpha, that I'm, I'm beta, but actually I'm the alpha. And she's also the alpha. <laughs> <laughs> Brittany and I are both the alpha. Yeah, and that's then, why this works so well. <laughs> and then when it comes to our endo dragons, I feel like my like red dragon was definitely the alpha. Oh, absolutely. But after excision surgery... Mushu's kind of alphaing up, and I'm not okay with it. <laughs> yeah. Brittany's Mushu is really stepping his game up. <laughs> yeah. He needs to chill. He can. He could have stayed beta, but no. He's like, well, there's a new dragon in town. <laughs> Ooh, there's a hole in this hierarchy. <laughs> yeah. Red dragon took a little break and went a little beta, and now Mushu's trying to fill those shoes, and he should not. He could stay beta, please. Please. So estradiol, which is the most potent form of estrogen in the body, estradiol enters into cells and it binds with estrogen receptors in estrogen-responsive cells. And so the estrogen receptors, alpha and beta, they're actually encoded by different genes, Ooh, which is interesting. That is interesting. Now, the estrogen receptors, alpha and beta, are actually different. Beta or beta? <laughs> Wait, what did I say? You said alpha and beta. Your, your hard northeastern R came out so strong there's right no, there. Brittany, there's no R in beta. Yeah, but you put one. <laughs> I was transported back to New England when you said beta like oh, that. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, Brittany and I are really tired trying to do all this science. Pronouncing things. Well, I said at the beginning I would not pronounce everything correctly. No, Apparently, that's I cannot not pronounce the word beta. It's just funny that your accent beta. slipped in. Just slipped in there. <laughs> I try to control my accent. Mushu is literally coming right now, so I have an excuse. What's yours? <laughs> Just being alive? Yeah, yeah it's okay. Taken. 
I mean, let me say it again. So I don't even know what I just said. So I'll just keep going. So alpha and beta. Good job. The alpha and beta estrogen receptors are different between endometriosis and the endometrium. No surprise. And several studies have shown that endometriosis has much higher levels of estrogen receptor beta. Just kidding. That was for comic. <laughs> That's for Brittany. Endometriosis has much higher levels of estrogen receptor beta. Endometriosis has much lower levels of estrogen receptor alpha than in the endometrium. Why is that a big deal? That is the biggest deal. Why? That is the biggest deal in the world. Tell me why. Tell me why. Well, here's the thing. (laughs) Estrogen causes us heartache. Oh, beautiful. (laughs) I love when you serenade me with 90s pop hits. The Backstreet Boys (laughs) talking about estrogen. So here's the thing is that estrogen and also progesterone, but we'll get to that later. Just one hormone. Estrogen needs its own platform, so we can't mix anything in. We know how estrogen is. Fork boxing narcissist. (laughs) (laughs) One hormone at a time. So when estrogen binds with its receptors, it does stuff. It's not just like, oh, it goes and binds with the receptors and then it just like takes a nap. Yeah, watches Netflix all day. You <laughs> know? Wish. Yeah, that'd be so great. That's what progesterone does, but we'll get to that. <laughs> oh, progesterone. progesterone is a lazy, <laughs> lazy hormone within endometriosis. But so basically, estrogen binds with the receptor and then it's causing chain reactions. It's interacting with other chemicals and enzymes and it's influencing transcription factors causing certain things to happen. I get it. All the bad things. Of course. Naturally. (laughs) When estrogen is involved. (laughs) Okay, so there's a really complex interplay going on because of the endometriosis and the receptors that it has. Because of the lack of alpha receptors and the excess of beta receptors, things are happening. That causes heartache. I'll tell you why. (laughs) Well, (laughs) you'll tell me why. (laughs) Okay. Well, I do have a question, though, before you tell me why. When you say an excess of estrogen receptor beta, how much are we talking? Like double, triple, quadruple? (laughs) How much? So there's no exact answer. Like, it is exactly 2.5 Sounds like everything else with endometriosis. No exact answer. (laughs) Well, there is an answer. But the the reason why, as we said, is that the hormone receptors can vary between Mm. the different tissues and the types and the lesions. Different studies have got different results in how much excess. So in some studies, estrogen receptor beta has been shown to have an expression of more than 100 times higher in endometriosis than in endometrial tissue. So when you said excess, you meant excess. So I didn't mean double or triple, Brittany. (laughs) I meant more than 100 times. I mean, some of these endometriosis lesions have got the fork boxing (laughs) amount of estrogen beta receptor. They were offered estrogen, and they didn't want some. They wanted all. They were like, give it to us. Oh, give it to us. The little minions are in there. When those endo dragons collected their gold, they weren't kidding. <laughs> Let's talk for a minute about one small study, and they used real-time polymerase chain reaction to compare tissue mRNA levels of important nuclear receptors. Basically, scientifically, that was their scientific method of looking at nuclear receptors, so for example, estrogen receptors, 
So what they did was they looked at the endometrium compared to ovarian endometrioma wall cells. So they went ahead, they took five people with endometriosis, and they used tissue from the ovarian endometrioma walls. And they compared that tissue to five people without endometriosis and their endometrial tissue. So you're comparing the endometrium and endometriosis from ovarian endometrioma walls. Got it. I'm holding my breath. I need to know what they found. This sounds fascinating. <laughs> tell me, tell me. Tell me more. Oh, no. Ooh, that was good. Okay. <laughs> so what they found was that the estrogen receptor beta mRNA levels were 142 times higher in endometriosis. Whoa. And they also found that the COX2, the COX2 expression, was higher in endometriosis compared to the endometrium. Okay, so we passed the HOX. Now we have a COX. Why are you bringing more things in? I'm already confused. What's a (laughs) COX2 and why do we care? Well, here's the thing, Brittany. The COX2 expression is important because COX2 stimulates prostaglandin production. All I know about prostaglandins is that they're the devil. So what does this mean and why should I care? Because I don't want to think about how rude they are. Okay, so many of you know prostaglandins. As Brittany said, they are indeed the devil. And they probably do have a pitchfork boxing. <laughs> they, they must probably have because a pitchfork box. They cause so much pain and inflammation, they have to use their pitchfork to do it. <laughs> but yeah, basically, as Brittany said, prostaglandins can cause pain and inflammation in the body. So COX-2 stimulates prostaglandins. So get it out. (laughs) I don't want it. So it's suggested to keep going backwards from here. We said the prostaglandins. Now we're backwards to prostaglandins are coming from the COX-2. Now we're going backwards. And it's suggested that because of the high levels of the estrogen receptor beta, the estradiol acts via the estrogen receptor beta. To stimulate the COX-2 and endo, you see? So you got the estrogen stimulating the COX-2 via the estrogen receptor beta. And then you got the COX-2 stimulating the prostaglandin. So basically what you got is the high levels of estrogen receptor beta through a process stimulating the pain and inflammation. (laughs) So that's the takeaway. Good musical. (laughs) (laughs) So basically what we're saying is that could be why we have so much pain and inflammation with endo. Thank you, COX-2. And estrogen receptor beta. You can leave now. (laughs) Please leave. And going back further than that, thank you, differential methylation. (laughs) And going back further than that, thank you, defective biology. (laughs) Stupid genes. Get out of here. Do your thing. Do it right. Come on. (laughs) So in another study using as well the real-time polymerase chain reaction to measure levels in, once more, ovarian endometriomas compared to the endometrium, It was found that for the estrogen receptor beta, the mRNA levels were 34 times higher in endometriosis. Wow. So, and you can already see the difference because another study that we just previously talked about said the mRNA levels of the beta were 142 times higher. This one found that they were 34 times higher. Still significant. But it's still huge. But you can see they're not finding the same results or even like... That's not very close, 34 and 142, but it's still like much, much higher. And in this study, they found that the estrogen receptor beta, when looking at this endometrial tissue, 
that it was nearly absent in the endometrial cells. So in the endometrial oh. cells, it was it was nearly absent. And then in the endometriosis, it was 34 times higher. So to sum all of this horror up, what you're saying is that endometriosis is shown to have significantly more estrogen receptor beta in these various studies. That's really interesting. What's more interesting? <laughs> so as you know, everything has everything affects everything, right? Like nothing is living in its own little forehead box where it's like not interacting <laughs> with anything. Our bodies are a spider web. You touch one little strand <laughs> and the whole web reacts. That's how it works. Somehow modern medicine doesn't think it works like that. <laughs> no, we but... like to compartmentalize in Western medicine. <laughs> Wrong-o! But that's like actually how it works. And so, so the high levels of estrogen receptor beta are found to suppress the estrogen receptor alpha expression. Wow. Yeah. So, the, so not only is it extremely the, in excess, it's also repressing the It's other. also domineering, right? It's wow. like the beta. I usually run, the alpha is the, it's I'm like, confused. I run this joint. Alpha, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Alpha's like, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, okay, I will. I can't, okay. I'll do whatever you Alpha's say. not used to this. <laughs> they need to rename them. <laughs> So this same study found that for the estrogen receptor alpha, the mRNA levels were seven times lower than in the endometrium. So the alpha has been found to be lower in endometriosis than in the endometrium. So that's interesting that it's not only that estrogen receptor beta is higher, that actually alpha is also decreased. That's very, very interesting. Yes, we got the highs and the lows. <laughs> the peaks and the valleys. <laughs> it's the roller coaster ride of the estrogen receptor. <laughs> you go up accurate. to the beta. <laughs> you go down that hill, and then you go down. You're like, oh, I'm going to vomit. I'm too low right now. <laughs> that sounds like endo. Yeah. <laughs> As we said, everything affects everything. So one of the things that having these high levels of the estrogen receptor beta and the low levels of the alpha this is associated with suppression of the progesterone receptor, and that's associated with progesterone resistance. Oh, that's interesting. So we're going to talk in a bit about like what exactly progesterone resistance is. All right, Brittany, summarize that in plain English pop quiz. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'm not ready. Okay, so let's, let's talk about what I know. We'll see if I get it right. So estrogen receptor beta has been found to be significantly higher in endometriosis. And estrogen receptor alpha actually has been found to be lower in endometriosis than in the endometrium. Bravo, bravo. <sighs> Ooh, okay, thank you. And what does all that mean? So this has all been associated with suppressed progesterone receptors and increased COX-2 levels. Which, no! Yeah, big old no. <laughs> which contributes to progesterone resistance oh God. and also our favorite things, pain and inflammation. Ooh. Just what everyone wants. <laughs> Go ahead, prostaglandin, you devil. Go ahead and stab <laughs> me with your pitchfork box. <laughs> Rude. Please don't, though, actually. <laughs> so Amy just talked about estrogen, and she also talked about the progesterone receptors and their resistance. And I want to talk about progesterone now because estrogen's had its time in the spotlight. Time to move on. We're done with you, estrogen. Progesterone. Never, never done with estrogen. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I hate you, but I need you. <laughs> so we're going to move on to something more interesting, estrogen. We're going to talk about progesterone. 
So there are two isoforms of the progesterone receptors. They are A and B. A and B? Pfft, not alpha and beta? No, they're not as cool as estrogen, apparently. They're not from the Greek alphabet? Apparently not. Rude. <laughs> they don't get characters rude. <laughs> Why can't science just be uniform? I don't understand. Oh, you have some hormone receptors that are alpha and beta, and then you have others that are A and B. Makes no sense. Why? Why are you like this? And guess, then you have fork box. Like, what are you doing, science? I guess they just want to not be uniform the same way endometriosis lesions okay. are not uniform right. in the body. We'll give it, give it to them you see for that, that. See that joke I just made there? Yes, everybody got it. Thank you. <laughs> when you know enough scientifically about endometriosis, you can make really boring... Biology jokes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you mean at cocktail party. <laughs> Making jokes about endometriosis. No. Shame. I love it. <laughs> So the levels of both isoforms of progesterone receptors, especially progesterone receptor B, are much lower. Wait a second. I just read. Oh, my God. Wait. A and B. Amy and Brittany. <gasps> We're alpha and beta. Oh, it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's us. So progesterone receptor Brittany is Aww. lower. That makes sense. It's also estrogen receptor Brittany is higher, which means I wreak havoc. I don't like <laughs> what that says about me. <laughs> Getting conflicting signals here. <laughs> oh. Well, progesterone receptor Brittany is better. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> We're going to talk about it. Okay, so the levels of both isoforms of the progesterone receptor, especially progesterone receptor Brittany B, just B, but really Brittany, is much lower in endometriosis compared with the endometrium. In some studies, the progesterone receptor B was undetectable in endometriotic tissues from peritoneal lesions and also in ovarian endometriosis. Does anyone else listening wish that at times Brittany progesterone receptor Brittany would be undetectable. <laughs> You're just listening to your audio and I'm like, okay, go ahead, Brittany. And there's just silence. <laughs> like, where'd Brittany go? She's undetectable. She's progesterone receptor B. <laughs> so because progesterone receptor B was undetectable in those endometriotic, in the peritoneal lesions and ovarian endo, the studies indicate that the progesterone receptor expression in endometriosis is reduced. Well, that makes sense. If there's not the receptors, how are they going to have their expression? Exactly. So because of that, they conclude that endometriosis has progesterone resistance, which means that progesterone doesn't induce the same changes and chain reactions that it normally would and should. Ooh. Well, that can't be good. No, no, it's not. <laughs> So what you're saying is that if they don't have their changes in chain reactions, then endometriosis is not doing things that are happening in the endometrium, mm -hmm. which is having the progesterone receptor levels and having the expression and having the changes in chain reactions. Correct. Ooh. It's not having that. Ooh, another reason why Ooh. endometriosis is not the endometrium. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Oh, say it to me again. Say it to me endometriosis again. is not the endometrium. Ooh. <laughs> so says all of these receptors. <laughs> so as we've mentioned before and in previous episodes, we know that progesterone actually responds to the estradiol. Wow. Can't just act on its own? No, of course not. <laughs> it's got to wait for its signals it's from the estradiol. It's got to have a You know, Aww. it's, it's got to get its count in from the wings. It really is Brittany and Amy. Yeah. Brittany can never act without my approval. Oh, okay. <laughs> Actually, it's really the opposite. <laughs> That's accurate. 
I text Brittany every time I want to like change my underwear. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I should change my underwear. Like, how long has it been? <laughs> okay, it's time hours. to do yeah, it. Yeah, time to do it. <laughs> That's just our relationship, okay? I'm like, should I shower now, Brittany? Brittany's like, sniff your armpit. And then she's like, oh, wait, I don't need you. You don't wear deodorant anymore because of histamine. So, yes. Definitely, you need, you need a shower. Don't remember not to use too hot water. You'll come out with a red puffy face and a racing heart. <laughs> okay, thank you, Brittany. <laughs> That's just how we are. So we okay? should change that sentence to Amy actually responds <laughs> to Brittany. <laughs> Progesterone actually responds to estradiol. Okay. I'm... Amy actually responds to Brittany. Okay. I like this better. <laughs> so because of that, in the endometrium, estradiol acts on the tissue to make it responsive to progesterone. During the first half of our menstrual cycles, when estrogen levels are rising, going uphill, so do the levels of the progesterone receptor isoforms, progesterone receptor B and progesterone receptor A. So both estrogen and the progesterone receptor isoform levels peak just before we ovulate, and then they begin to diminish. Ooh, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you why you should care. Okay. So it suggests that estradiol stimulates the progesterone receptor expression. Oh, okay. Which is why it's interesting. Okay, estrogen's rising, and then the progesterone isoform levels are rising. Mm -hmm. Okay, I get it. So there was one study done where the endometriosis tissues from ovarian endometriosis were biopsied during the days closer to ovulation when estrogen is higher. And what they found was that in the endometriosis tissues during this time, the progesterone receptor mRNA and protein levels are not high. <gasps> but they should but be But they should high. be, yes. Ooh, but they weren't high. Curious. <laughs> the levels also weren't high in these tissue samples when the endocells were treated with estradiol. <gasps> so it's not acting the way that it should. Nope, not <gasps> at all. Because one would suggest that when the estradiol is acting on those cells, the progesterone receptors and levels would go up the way it does in the endometrium. I'm getting it. I'm getting it. But in this study with the endometriotic tissue from the ovarian endometriosis, the progesterone, mRNA, and the protein levels weren't high when estradiol was on the scene. Yes. Oh. Correct. Because <gasps> endometriosis does not act like the endometrium. Because it's not. A revelation. <laughs> Yes, thank you for your beautiful plain recap of that. We needed it. Because the non-plain recap, the science recap, is that the studies indicate that the estradiol induction of the progesterone receptor expression in endometriosis is... Woo! Sorry, that was, that was a, a, a mouthful. What was going on there? Estradiol induction progesterone receptor expression. <laughs> I got it. In endometriosis is markedly blunted or weakened. <gasps> Oh my gosh. First of all, I don't think anything to do with endometriosis could be described as blunted <laughs> or opposite yeah. of sharp or strong, but or weakened. <laughs> but okay, the progesterone receptor expression is weakened. Correct. As indicated, this is what's indicated In by the those study. studies. Mm -hmm. Ooh, so like what does that mean? What's that mean? <laughs> So what this means is that the cells don't typically respond to progesterone like they normally would. Oh, but who cares? Our bodies. 
Who cares? <laughs> we do. Who cares if it doesn't respond to progesterone? I wish it wouldn't respond to estrogen. My God. <laughs> we'll take that. And it was all like, give me the estrogen. And then progesterone comes in the scene. It's like, meh. I'm good. <laughs> I'll chill back here. That's why Amy's the estrogen and I'm the progesterone. <laughs> That's why I said earlier that the progesterone is the lazy hormone. It's just like put it's like on the sofa, super comfy, like eating popcorn with Tabasco I wish I were on comfy. It. Oh, Tabasco. Oh. What? <laughs> that's how my boyfriend eats. I was going to say, that's how your boyfriend eats popcorn. Chili powder. He, well, he's Mexican. So it's like chili powder. Um, Hold on. Chili powder, Tabasco. Oh, there's so many chilies going I'm there. I'm sure. It's the I'm popcorn. I'm sure it's very tasty. It actually is amazing. It's popcorn. Then he puts the chili powder in and then he sprinkles the lime, oh, lime. juice. Mm-hmm. And then he puts the Tabasco. And then if there's dried mango, he oh, cuts yeah. that up with scissors and puts it okay, in. Okay, this sounds really good, but like really spicy. <laughs> yeah, it's also like. You have endo, do not go to Yeah, that sounds like uh, <laughs> one piece is going to send me over the edge. But, but he doesn't really have good. endo. Lucky pork boxing. <laughs> Lucky duck. <laughs> you can have your beautifully spiced popcorn all by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> now I want dried mango and chili. All right, Brittany, here we go. So why do I care about potential progesterone resistance in the endometriosis tissue? So I'm going to tell you why. So just like everything in our body, progesterone triggers quite a few reactions or should trigger quite a few reactions in our bodies. So one of the ones that we're going to highlight is HSD-17B2. Is that your license plate? No. Is that a chess move? No. Is that a secret code I have to like figure out? You know, you sent me a message like, I love you, but... You have to decode it? Yeah, like yes. every letter and yes, number corresponds to some <laughs> secret. We're going to decode it right now, but it's not I love you. <laughs> <laughs> it's I hate you. <laughs> this is I how the never. endometriosis scream. No, this is how the endometriosis screams I hate you to the host. Yes. The host being us. Okay. To the body that it's in. And it's so like, this is a secret coded message from endometriosis <laughs> to the host that we have to decode. Oh, God. I don't think we have to try that hard to decode. I think we get it. <laughs> So in normal endometrium, normal. Not mine. <laughs> Not ours, but normal. <laughs> okay, so maybe like people without endo. Yeah, people yeah. without endo. <laughs> in their endometrium, progesterone acts via progesterone receptor on stromal cells, inducing the secretion of paracrine factors. Hold on. She said secretion. Secretion. <laughs> <laughs> we're so mature. Such a gross we word, acknowledge <laughs> that we're mature. It's just a gross word. <laughs> We have to have fun in here, people. We are doing hardcore science. (laughs) No, our brains are. We have to laugh. So that then stimulates the nearby epithelial cells to express 17-beta-hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase type 2. That's HSD-17B2. What the fork box are you talking about? Secretion, pericrine factors, stimulate epithelial cells. Give me the English. (laughs) No. You have to have the Latin only. (laughs) The Greek and Latin only. So basically, through a chemical process, progesterone stimulates the HSD-17B2, which oh, okay. was the secret message. Yes, the 17-beta-hydroxysteroidehydrogenase type 2. Okay, so That's what, what exactly for. is the HSD-17B2 code of endometriosis screaming, I hate you, 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 <laughs> to the host? What that is is an enzyme that metabolizes the biological estradiol the most potent form of estrogen, okay, to Uh-oh. estrone. Oh, wait, wait. You know what that is. 
Estrone is another form of estrogen that is biologically much weaker than estradiol. Yes, it's the wannabe of the trio, remember? Okay, so what you're saying is this HSD-17B2. Ooh, say it. I kind of like it. I know, it's nice to say it. Very rhythmic. <laughs> HSD-17B2 is an enzyme that metabolizes this potent form of estrogen to the, a weaker form. Correct. Metabolizes estradiol to estrone. Correct. From strong to weak, from potent to not so potent. <laughs> yes. Okay, so I like this HSD-17B2 and its enzyme activity. Do it. Go ahead and metabolize my estradiol. Make it estrone Please so it doesn't do. have such estrogenic effects on my body and Please I stop do. having different symptoms of high estrogen. Or strong estrogen or potent estrogen, and I can just hopefully feel a little better because my <laughs> estrogen levels are a little bit weaker. Thank Fingers you. Crossed. Thank you so much, HSD17B2. I love you. I love you. Why'd you say it was a bad message? Why'd you say it was the <laughs> encoded, I hate you, I hate you? You said that. <laughs> it sounds awesome. Give me the HSD17B2. Okay, I will give it to you. I will just pull it out of my body and give it to you. <laughs> so I know you're all excited right now. But I have to bring all of your hopes and dreams crashing down to the ground. That sounds, that's what I do. That sounds typical of endometriosis. Yes. Yeah. Destroy my hopes and dreams. Yes. Okay. So right while, while you're here thinking that this, I'm in a deep dark hole now, HSD17B2 is just synthesizing all of our estradiol into estrone. Well, jokes on us because in endometriosis, studies have shown that progesterone doesn't induce the HSD17B2 expression. Hold on. Yes, precisely. <laughs> precisely. Cue crying, sobbing. <laughs> no, I want my HSD. <laughs> Please. I, I want my HSD with 7B2 enzyme expression. You can't have it. Oh. Endo says no. That's why it's I hate you. I hate yes. you. Yeah. I Endo said no. Now. In one study, extra ovarian endometriotic tissue and endometrium were exposed to the same circulating levels of progesterone. Ooh, to see what they would do and to yes. see if they would act the same or differently. What would happen? <gasps> Let me guess. They acted differently. Oh, re- really? Wow. You would guess that? That's a really out-of-the-blue guess. Wow. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> would have never expected you to get that right. <laughs> so, yes, the HSD-17B2 mRNA and protein were not detectable in the endometriotic tissue. Rude. But they were in the endometrium. Not shocking to any of us. <laughs> this is so sad. About the HSD-17B2 <laughs> levels. Where's my levels of HSD-17B2? <laughs> Where's my estrone? Too much estradiol. <laughs> why is that? Why, why do they think that this enzyme was undetectable in the endometriotic tissue? And then there it was. Ooh, there it was in the endometrium. Fork bucks. <laughs> you, endometrium. So it's possibly due to the low levels of progesterone receptors that were seen in the endometriosis tissue. Oh, I get it now. So when there's we nothing said to receive it, that the progesterone receptors are low, it like actually has real life consequences. Yes, yes it it's does. It's not just like there's only so many boxes and you can't fill more boxes than you have. Our poor progesterone. Do you want to give us the plain English summary? Of the, although I think many of us. <laughs> understand we're sitting here we're how all, harmful this is tears are rolling down our cheeks <laughs> well i think the main takeaway here is to just acknowledge that because the potent form of estrogen estradiol isn't made into the weaker form estrone 
it adds to the high estradiol activity in endo, and we know how estrogen interacts with our endo. So the big takeaway is that the lower levels of progesterone receptors means we have a hyperestrogenic environment with our endometriosis. So that's the main takeaway is, one, rude. Two, lowered progesterone receptors can equal a higher, higher level of estradiol because they're not able to be metabolized into a strong. And what does that mean when the estradiol level is higher? It means you most likely will have way more pain and inflammation. Everything leads back to those two, doesn't it? <laughs> Cue sobbing. I also want to add to my plain English summary of what you just talked about, because I want to say, here is another example of how endo and the endometrium were found in studies to be different. Shocking. Different. In normal endometrium, progesterone acts via the progesterone receptors on stroma cells, inducing the secretion of paracrine factors that then stimulate nearby epithelial cells to express our good old HSD17B2. And we love our HSD17B2 because that converts the strong estradiol to the weakest drone. But in studies, this did not happen to endometriosis when it was exposed to the same levels of progesterone as the endometrium. Correct. Thank Big you. Big old green check. I was listening <laughs> and understanding. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, and because once more, endometriosis isn't acting like the endometrium, although kind of in this case, we wish it would. Oh, please, I wish it would. <laughs> but it won't because it's not the endometrium. It's not? It's not. Oh, it's not. <laughs> News to you. <laughs> Newsflash. Newsflash to the medical community. Okay, so we just learned about the really devastating lack of the HSD-17B2. But now I want to tell you about something that is being found in studies in endometriosis that is called HSD-17B1. Ooh, plot twist. <laughs> so as you see, it's basically the same license plate. Just kidding. The same number. It's mine and Amy's license plates. She has one and I have two. <laughs> it's the same enzyme that we heard before, but instead of it being B2, it's B1. Gotcha. Okay, so... Well, as Brittany just explained, estradiol and estrone, they can become each other, so they can convert into each other. So estradiol can convert into estrone, the weaker estrogen, and then actually estrone can convert into estradiol. They ooh, can do like swaps back and, forth. and change places and be like, ooh, now we want more estradiol. Perfect. Ooh, now we want more estrone. Perfect. <laughs> I wish I could just like change and morph like that. That'd be <laughs> pretty so great. Cool. Brittany goes into Amy and Amy comes into I'll be so wonderful. We'd get so much done. Oh, we would. <laughs> so. The enzyme HSD17B1, guess what it does? It's not good. Well, I could have guessed that. <laughs> <laughs> what the B1 does is that it catalyzes the conversion of estrone to estradiol. It does the opposite of what the other one does. Instead of making it from oh, no. the strong to the weak, Oh, no. It can make the weak oh, no. to the strong. So with B2, we're already having trouble turning the strong into the weak. And with B1, we're having a lot of the weak turning into the strong. Yeah, baby. That's just <laughs> not, that's rude. <laughs> just throw them both away. 
So this enzyme HSD17B1 is actually found in both endometriotic tissue and the endometrium. But we mention it because, as we know, endometriosis can make its own estrogen. And as we know, it does that via the aromatase enzyme, and it converts androstenedione into estrogen. And only endometriosis can convert androstenedione into estrogen. That's like endometriosis's, ooh, endometriosis's superpower. We don't need to give it one. <laughs> That's not a superpower. Apparently endometriosis has a lot of That's superpowers. That's super villain. This is not superhero. <laughs> Although it is interesting to note that the endometrium cannot do that, sucker. <laughs> The aromatase enzyme, when it converts androstenedione to estrone, the weaker form, and then here comes HSD17B1 saying, we don't want that weak estrogen up in here. We want muscles. We need it potent. <laughs> we want the strong estrogen. We're not going to water down estrogen. <laughs> We're not going to take that crappy estrone. We want the pure form. <laughs> so what does it do? It converts estrone into estradiol. So that's always fun. And then, since we don't have that HSD17B2, the two which converts the strong to the weak, we just basically have the weak one being converted to the strong one. And then the strong one, it can't go back to the weak one. It's like, I'm strong now. I'm so strong there's now. no ebb and flow. There's just ebb, 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 ebb. There's <laughs> <laughs> just get stronger. The tide keeps rising and rising yes. and rising. Oh, now it's on the porch. Oh, now gosh. it's in the living room. It's a flood of estradiol. <laughs> That's great. That's what I wanted in my house. <laughs> okay, so the plain English of that is that endometriosis makes its own estrogen which we already knew, and also which the endometrium does not do because they're not the same. And unfortunately, endometriosis makes the potent estrogen that has more estrogenic effects. Oh, joy. Cue crying. So as we said in the beginning, we're not going to cover every single little thing that is different <laughs> between the endometriosis and the endometrium. Because... There are There's so too many. many. There's too many. Unlike what the medical community at large believes. Yes. But we did already cover a few important ones, and the last important one that we wanted to highlight is retinoic acid. Sounds like it burn me. <laughs> like every other part of endometriosis. So we wanted to cover this one because there's so many effects that this has in the body, and we thought it was interesting. So this will be our home runner. So progesterone, via the progesterone receptors, induces retinoic acid production in endometrial stromal cells. Ooh, I see where this is going already. <laughs> okay, so in endometrial stromal cells, progesterone induces retinoic acid. Yes. What happens in endometriosis? <laughs> but, ooh, <laughs> there's the but. No one saw that coming. Nope. In endometriotic stromal cells collected from ovarian endometriosis, Progesterone resistance <gasps> was shown Ooh. to impair retinal uptake and retinoic acid. So here we're having another, that progesterone resistance is doing a is lot. key, yes. <laughs> yeah. So in the endometrial stromal cells, progesterone does one thing with the retinoic acid. And in endometriotic stromal cells, progesterone does another with the retinoic acid. No one's shocked here. I'm telling you things you already know, but this one's interesting. <laughs> okay, so why is this retinoic acid so interesting, the fact that it's impaired? Okay, you're going to scream when I tell you. Ready? Oh, no. 
retinoic acid being impaired in endo is important to know because traditionally, retinoic acid is known to have anti-inflammatory effects. Oh, darn! <laughs> I knew you were going to oh, get mad. Oh, we could use a little bit of anti-inflammatory <laughs> action going on here with the endometriosis. Everything else is feeding our inflammation, and one thing that could help that... Not too bad, can't have it. <laughs> Impaired. <laughs> Impaired, can't have it. And the decreased retinoic acid levels can lead to increases in the inflammatory cytokines, such as IL-6. Oh. So not only is it not decreasing inflammation, <laughs> it's but just making more. it can increase inflammation too. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, we got that lucky. We really did get that lucky. <laughs> oh, God. What else does it do? <laughs> <laughs> because there's always more. Decreased availability of the retinoic acid contributes to a deficiency in our license plate, HSD17B2. Our good old B2, the one that converts estradiol to estrone. Yes. So this also contributes to a deficiency in that, making it harder for our estradiol to turn to estrone. Ooh, the twisted web that the spider weaves. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting because it just shows that, like, again, you know, the body is not acting in silos. It's not like there may be progesterone resistance and that affects nothing. It's like, no, having... Progesterone resistance is affecting the retinoic acid, which is affecting the HSD-17B2, which is affecting the estrogen, which is it's just like all connected and interwoven and twisted together. And it's all ugly. Yeah, it's all pretty bad. <laughs> it's all like really, It all really, looks like an inside full of endometriosis. It's just like an avalanche <laughs> coming down the mountain, like a bloody avalanche. The snowball effect is just like the red snowball with the big <laughs> rock in the middle and then it yep. like slams into you and then you just fall on the ground. Yeah, that's this. Do you remember a fun little word from last week? Apoptosis. I do. <laughs> what was it's a fun it? One. Program cell death. Yes, it is. Mm, and I learned that some studies have shown that endometriotic tissues have impaired apoptosis. Yeah, which means they're gonna live forever. <laughs> yes, those immortal endo cells. Well, maybe not forever, but <laughs> I mean, we don't know for longer. <laughs> they, endo could live forever. I, I'm not. I'm not a scientist. I don't know anything. <laughs> Well, decreased availability of retinoic acid, along with a switch in its intracellular signaling, whatever that means, which we sounds bad, we into that, <laughs> may favor anti-apoptoic pathways and cell survival in endometriosis. Ooh. So it's just encouraging them to live forever. My goodness. As if they needed any encouragement. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so much. Endo will never leave. <laughs> never leave this planet. <laughs> Okay, whoo! Well, that was a lot. Both Brittany and I feel extraordinarily fatigued, and we need to take a nap now. Yes, please. <laughs> We're going to go cuddle and take a nap. <laughs> we'll bring some cats and dogs. It'll be a little cuddle puddle. Oh, cute. <laughs> so to do like a quick, basic English overview, I think, you know, what's just really important to walk away with is, one, as we know, as we all know and scream and shout from our rooftops, is that endometriosis is not the endometrium. And when endometriosis is compared to the normal endometrium in studies, which are often using peritoneal endometriosis or ovarian endometriosis, some studies have found that estrogen receptor beta levels are much, much higher in endometriosis. This is leading to much lower levels of estrogen receptor alpha in endometriosis. And then this ratio of the beta and the alpha 
is suggested to lead to the progesterone receptor levels being lower in endometriosis, especially progesterone receptor B. Then what happens? My gosh. <laughs> There's more. And then this happens, and then this happens, and this happens. But see, it's all, it's all, it's all affected it's by each other. It's also twisted. So then with the low levels of progesterone receptors is suggested to lead to the progesterone resistance. What happens when we have progesterone resistance? This may contribute to impaired retinoic acid uptake, and this may contribute to inflammation and endocell survival. And this impaired retinoic acid uptake also leads to a lack of expression of our good old favorite HSD-17B2, but there's a lack of it. (laughs) So sad. So our endometriotic cells are not converting the potent estradiol to the weaker form estrone, which is leading to a higher estrogenic environment, a hyperestrogenic environment. Not helping either is the fact that the HSD-17B1, the B1 expression, is going ahead and converting the weak estrone to the potent estradiol. As if we needed more. Good Lord. And then, ah, the icing on the cake is that estradiol and the estrogen receptor beta are inducing the COX-2 expression, which is making the high prostaglandin production, which can cause pain and inflammation. And now, I want to pass out from, <laughs> from how sciencey that was. And also how sad I am. You know what? If we weren't people that experienced endometriosis or in an endo community or really had to think about endometriosis, I would be in absolute awe of all of that. I'm in horror. But if I didn't have to, like, actually confront it within my body, I would be much more in awe than I am. But honestly, to be completely subjective, that is incredible how all of these things interact in this terrifying symphony. But beautiful because bodies are really beautiful in what they do. But it's all of these pieces and these lines and these melodies essentially coming together into this symphony of horror. (laughs) But nevertheless, still this incredible feat of our bodies. That's really, really amazing. So you mean the fact that estrogen receptor alpha, estrogen receptor beta, progesterone receptor, HSD-17B1, HSD-17B2, and retinoids, to just name a few, because there are so many more, like the Hox genes that Brittany talked about at the beginning, and the GATA family, and the chicken ovulum (laughs) upstream promoter. (laughs) And the fork box. (laughs) (laughs) All of that is coming together into this perfectly inflamed catastrophe that is named endometriosis. Correct. We hope that you walk away, hopefully not too confused, but if you're confused, relatable. (laughs) (laughs) Trust me, we were very confused the first time we read the research article too. So it's a lot of information. It is overwhelming. It is confusing. And I think just, you know, we wanted to do this really sciencey episode to just dive into the, you know, deeper into the reasons why endo and the endometrium are not the same. It's not just superficial, like, well, they don't act the same or look the same. This is down to their biological genetic core. And that's really fascinating and really important to know. Yeah, genes are turning on and off within the endometriosis that are not turning on on and off in the endometrium. You know, the endometriosis making its own estrogen. It's 
not reacting the way it should to progesterone levels. Like there are true horrifying differences in the expression of endometriosis when compared to the normal endometrium. And what it's done is it's leading to this production of this potent estrogen, this inflammation, you know, and this enhanced cell survival due to the deficient retinoid production action. So like, ew, endometriosis, just (laughs) unacceptable. But do you have to do so much? Go fork box yourself. (laughs) Seriously, just go fork box. Do you have to do so much endometriosis? Can you just like chill? Can you just not? Can you do like one thing instead of like 3,000 things, please? (laughs) We're never going to catch a break, but that's okay because knowledge is power and we know more. Our brains are tired, but we know more about why endometriosis is not the endometrium and it will never be. (laughs) Get over it, medical community. Get over it. Thank you so much for listening today. And I have a question for you all. If you could have an outward expression of endometriosis so that you could be diagnosed easier and it's not overly hairy ears, what would it be? Maybe like a bump in my belly button. Some... That could be a keloid. That could be an <laughs> ulcer. We need something very distinctive, okay? Think about it. Let us know because I just want to hear maybe a, how creative. Maybe a birthmark. On we the, all get a blue streak in our hair. A something birthmark like that. on my inner thigh in the shape of a drop of blood. A lightning bolt. <laughs> <laughs> a spike. <laughs> Give us your ideas. We want to know them. So thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed the episode. All of the resources that we used are found on our website, which is in 16years.com. And we're also on the Instagram page at in 16 years of endo. All right. Thanks so much. 